The Old Testament reading is taken from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 to 19. This can be found on page 530 in the Bibles in the chairs. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For if you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no slumber and your eyelids no sleep. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Our Heavenly Father, please enlighten the eyes of our heart that we may understand what you have to say and be guided and guarded by it as we seek to walk in your ways. Amen. Please do take a seat. It'd be great too if you could uh, grab a Bible and turn back to Proverbs uh, chapter 6 on page 530 in uh, the uh, Bibles. Uh, It'd be good for you to have that in front of you. As you do that, let me uh, introduce you to a different uh, book. I wonder if you've ever come across uh, this book, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Uh, Jamie, my son, and I, we grabbed this off the bookshelves uh, the other night uh, for a bit of a a chuckle and were highly entertained uh, as it points out various different dangers that we could face in life and how to get out of them. So you can flick to page 34 and find out how to escape from a sinking car, uh, just in case you have some trouble on your way home uh, with the River Tyne. That would be good to know. Um, On page 64, we've got how to deal with a charging bull. 
And uh, on page 57, we've got how to wrestle free from an alligator, which includes the immortal lines. If its jaws are closed on something you want to remove, for example, a limb, simply tap or punch it on the snout. Now, that's great, isn't it? I mean, this, this book is so deadpan and matter-of-fact. But, but now, if you do get attacked by a crocodile on your way home from church, you will know exactly what to do. So we had a good laugh over that. Um, but, but as you can see, the situations that you face in this book are not the kind of things that you come across every day, are, are they? You don't expect to come across these situations. Although, um, on page 99, we've got how to deliver a baby in a taxi cab. And Ben Pryke's wife, Sophie, is heavily pregnant. So I think your need is better than mine at the moment, my friend. So uh, just in case, just in case. You never know. I hope it doesn't happen, but so you can brush up. But, but those, are, those are all ridiculous things that we, we hope or, or suspect would never happen. But in contrast, when we come to the book of Proverbs, we find ourselves being warned of all kinds of dangers that are real life and every day. The book of Proverbs, if you like, is God's worst case scenario, survival handbook for life. So Proverbs 2 verse 12 says, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong. There is great danger out there, folks. There are real predators on the streets. Folks, what is your worst case scenario? What could be the thing this autumn that might just derail your life? Now, I don't want to demean or deny the seriousness of anything you might think of there, but Proverbs is saying that the worst case scenario for any of us is that we be a fool and listen to and fall into the hands of wicked men or women. Women too, actually. As last week, we heard about the dangers of being waylaid by the seductress in Proverbs chapter 5 and 7. And chapter 7 ends by telling us this, which is so stark. Many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to show, going down to the chambers of death. Folks, this is the issue. This is, this is what I really thought about as I was preparing this this week. If your leg is in the mouth of the crocodile or the bull is charging across to the field and getting closer and closer to you, you know it is deadly serious. You will run and you will fight and you will pray like you have never prayed before, won't you? And Proverbs 6 tells us that this is the response we need to have to these dangers that are out there, these predators that lurk. And it's got three more for us. In, in Proverbs chapter 6, three more dangers to, to look out for. Here's the first one. The hunter who traps the financially foolish. Have a look with me at verse 1, will you? My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given you a pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth... Do you get the danger that's happening here? Can you picture the situation? Someone comes up to you and they say, I've been to the bank and they won't give me a loan. Um, uh, but but, but if, if you signed these documents for me, you know, I, I could get the money. You know, really, really help. Go on, come on, be a mate. It sounds very easy. Very reasonable even. Maybe it's a close friend or a family member. 
Maybe you, you feel they've been unfairly dealt with by the bank or the government, whoever they're trying to get the money from. Maybe they're borrowing for an investment, something that could really put them on their feet for life. And so you want to help them get a leg up, don't you? But that little signature makes you fully responsible for the debt. Life is so uncertain, isn't it, folk? Anything can happen. You don't know what's around the corner. There are all kinds of things that can go wrong in life and fast. If your friend suddenly can't pay, or worse still, won't pay, then it's going to be you that gets taken to the cleaners. You've been, uh, verse 2, in fact, as soon as you, you signed your name, you were snared, caught in the words of your mouth. Seems like such a kind, generous thing to do, didn't it? But you've been a fool. Now, I need to say, the Bible is clear in two ways. One, God is generous, and he wants us to be generous too. In Deuteronomy 15, God told his people to loan money to the poor that were among them freely and without charging interest. And that every seven years, all the debts were not to be called in, but were to be cleared. God has nothing against reasonable, generous loans. So we can all breathe a huge sigh of relief that what AID are doing (laughs) with those microfinance loans is a very biblical thing to do. It's a great work, and I really encourage you to support it. But let me tell you too, God does not want us to gamble. So if you put your financial future in the hands of someone who the bank already thinks is a risk, you are acting irresponsibly yourself. And you're also encouraging them to act irresponsibly too. Both of you are trapped. Both of you are enslaved. And in doing so, you have both lost your ability to be generous like God. So what should you do? Anything. We should do anything to set yourself free. That's, that's the tone of verses 3 to 5, isn't it? Verse 3, go hasten and plead urgently. In other words, badger these people until they hear your plea. Even if it's humiliating, text and email and visit in person. Leave a string of messages on our answer machine. Begging for mercy. Just to hope that everything's going to work out is... Sleepwalking into ruin. Verse 4 Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Don't go to bed until it's sorted, or at the very least until it's started. Don't wait another day. Verse 5 Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Don't know if you've ever seen an animal caught in a trap, maybe on some TV documentary, what will they do? They will flap and they'll flail and they'll wriggle around and and they will not stop. They will use every last ounce of their energy to try and break free. I suspect that most of us here have not been asked to be a guarantee, guarantor for a loan. But some of us have. So we need to hear the Father's wisdom here and do whatever we can to be free, to get free, like a cornered animal fighting for our lives. If you don't know where to start then, uh, 
Christians Against Poverty Debt Centre team might be able to tell you how. Sadly, Richard Mayland, our debt centre manager, is away on holiday this weekend. Uh, so uh, that's what he looks like. So do try and grab him next week at church. Um, or better still, in the, in the spirit of Proverbs 6, take action now. Uh, send him an email as soon as you get home. Or, or grab myself or my wife, Fiona, who works alongside Richard, so that we can tell you about how Cat may be able to help. And if you have asked someone to co-sign an agreement like this, you need to give them the offer to be free. And for all of us, I need to say something, don't I, about borrowing in our Wonga culture. We have such a careless, a culture of careless debt in our country, don't we? Even the government's at it. And it encourages us to overextend ourselves. We all seem to be addicted to living beyond our means. And Proverbs 6 would say, resist that temptation. So maybe you find yourself financially trying to top up the sums because you, you've seen this house of your dreams and, and, and you're not quite sure whether you might be able to afford it. You probably can't. But let me just remind you, that is not the key to your future happiness. That's, that's Jesus is the key to your future happiness. This is just a house. It's a place to sleep, eat, chill out, and, and have folks over for hospitality to bless them too. So don't even risk it becoming a financial trap. And the same could be said about most of our other major items of expenditure, like our cars, our mobile phones, our, our holidays, don't take unnecessary financial risks to get what you want and what everybody else seems to have. Borrowing is not for what we can't afford, don't need, or what wastes our money so that we then find ourselves unable to be like God and be generous to others. When it comes to money, don't be a fool and get trapped by the hunter. And then secondly, don't get taken advantage of the robber either who steals the life of the lazy because that's what happens to this sluggard, doesn't it, in, in verses 9 to 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, there's nothing wrong with sleep. There's nothing wrong with a bit of rest too. But the sluggard is getting more than enough of both. But in doing so, he is wasting his time and his energy. And in the end, will find himself impoverished. Which is why Proverbs 6 tells us, get down on your knees. Have a little look at those ants. <laughs> Do you see it? Go to the ant, oh sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. <laughs> Folks, have you ever seen a stationary ant? 
No, no, no. They're always scurrying around in the paving stones, aren't they? Or, 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 or on your picnic blanket, taking ridiculously large crumbs from your sandwiches off to their, off to their nest. Or, or somehow finding their way into your unmentionable bit so you wriggle and squirm like you're having a fit and you feel like you're going to itch for the next, well, rest of the day. The only stationary ant you ever see is a squashed one, isn't it? Because the ant works. And it works without even having to be told to do so. So you never see someone standing over an ant with a, with a whip, unless, of course, you're watching that Woody Allen um, film, Ants. Um, but, uh, but they're just Hollywood ants, folks, okay? Real ants. <laughs> they're not real ants. Real ants have no chief, officer, or ruler, and yet they work. They work. So let me ask you a few questions about your work ethic. Are you more comparable to the ant or to the sluggard? Uh, do you just do the bare minimum or, or do you do your work wholeheartedly? Uh, do you never really do it when your boss is watching or, or, or your teachers or your parents are nagging you? Or do you do your work as to the Lord as the New Testament encourages us to? You see, the ant may have no overseer, yet you and I, we have a king in heaven to whom we will have to give an account for our days. So we need to hear this warning this morning, don't we? No one has ever been faithful to Jesus and unwilling to work hard. How are we doing on this? The risk of sounding a bit like a grumpy old man uh, let me say that this is such a common issue for the young, isn't it? Given the chance, our young people can be lazy with every part of their body apart from their thumbs, which are profoundly active. And maybe that's us too. Maybe it's not just our young people. Uh, and now, of course, we need to relax and we need to rest. That is a biblical command. And we should take that seriously. But the point of the Christian life is not the indulgence of self. Sorry, the point of rest in the Christian life is not the indulgence of self, but to refresh self in order to serve again. What about those of us who are retired or on the cusp of retirement? I find it amazing here at St. Joseph's to see so many of our retirees using their retirement for the glory of God. I'm so thankful for that. Many of you could say that what with home and uh, family and, and church, the worst thing about being retired is never having a day off. But for some of us, retirement could be seen as an opportunity to indulge our inner sluggard. And we need to retain the time for the one who will take account of it. There can be great usefulness in retirement. Not least in using the time when we are not busy doing to get busy praying. I read this uh, book at the start of the year, Busy for Self, Lazy for God. It was kind of ironic as I read it because I was, I was laid up in bed um, having had an accident with, my, with everybody else waiting on me hand and foot. I was kind of busy doing nothing. Uh, but the title says it all, I think. <laughs> So many of us, we can be workaholics when it comes to our jobs. We can be workaholics when it comes to how we present ourselves. 
We can be workaholics when it comes to our health and our hobbies and our families. But when it comes to spiritual things, we can be sluggardly. The effort goes in everywhere else apart from our godliness and getting God's wisdom into our lives. Again, Proverbs says, look at that ant and work. Then finally, the third predator Proverbs warns us of here is the stirrer who sows disunity in the community. As we go from someone who isn't busy enough to someone who is a busy body. And when the Bible says in verse 12 that he's a worthless person, a wicked man, it doesn't mean that this person isn't valued or valuable to God. It means that he or she is without benefit or use to us, to people in the community, to other people. Why is that? Well, it's because of verse 14. He's continually sowing discord. And then again, verse 19. He is the one who sows discord among brothers. And the Bible really, really want to stress is how important this is, how dangerous this is. Because the Bible uses this little literary device. I don't know if you noticed it in verse 16. And it's used elsewhere in the Bible. But 16 says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. And that's not just saying there's six or seven things that God doesn't really like. No, it's putting emphasis on the last one. When it does that, it's putting emphasis on the last one. There are six things, but the seventh ties them all together. So that's where our attention should go. The the bottom line, if you like, is the bottom line in that list. So this person is worthless because he or she causes discord, disunity, and dissension wherever they go. Folks, we all sin stupidly. But some people sin aggressively, deliberately. And we need to be very, very wary of them because they break people apart and they cause unnecessary arguments. How do they do this? Well, in very small but really significant ways. I remember being in a Christian meeting uh, when I was younger and uh, in the row behind me, all the way through this meeting, there was this guy who just kept whispering to the people around him and making them giggle. And I looked back at one point when the leader of the, the group was standing at the front speaking and he was just kind of leaning back on his chair, looking kind of slyly down the row at uh, another, another, another guy kind of rolling his eyes as if to go, what's this moron talking about? Folks, that's this guy here in Proverbs 6. That's the stirrer. He uses, do you see, well, all kinds of mannerisms. Verse 12, there's crooked speech uh, behind people's backs. Verse 13, he winks with his eye, signals with his feet, points with his finger. And it might be really exciting to be in conversation with this person. You might find out all kinds of juicy things that you didn't know already. And people might find him very humorous and indulgent. But don't says the Lord. God hates it. He can't stomach, verse 17, their haughty eyes which arrogantly judge others. Their lying tongue which gossips and slanders, spreading lies behind other people's backs. They think their character assassination, it doesn't harm anyone. But do we see? They shed innocent blood. So much damage is being done. 
And ultimately their cynicism destroys not only the unity of the fellowship, but it destroys them too, which is verse 15. They are in mortal danger. Now as I'm talking about this, I suspect that you're thinking, who could this be? And you're thinking about somebody else, someone who it might be, but don't do that. Stop doing that. Let's think about ourselves for a moment. (laughs) Because the frightening thing about these verses, I find, is how mundane they are, how normal they are, how me they are. So where might we be tempted to be a stirrer? At work, at home, maybe even here at church. Folks, I've been so aware as I prepared this about how many churches have been crippled and torn apart by people talking about the leadership and not to them. I'm not aware of any big issues that we have here that are buzzing around behind my back. I'm certainly not hoping to create any. I'm also really aware of the many mistakes that I have made as the leader of this church since uh, we started it three and a half years ago. I'm also aware of the many mistakes I've made in my life. We all have. And so I would hope that we would treat one another not like the hunter or the robber or the stirrer, but like Jesus Christ. How does he treat us? Well, Jesus knows you inside out, doesn't he? He has all all the gossip on you, if you like. He he knows the secrets of your heart that you would hate to come out. But, But what does he do with that information? Does he use it against you? No. Oh, he, he died to take away our sin and our foolishness. Jesus did the opposite of entrapping us in our debts. He paid for those debts on the cross. He did the opposite of taking advantage of our slugginess, sluggardliness. He worked. He labored to set us free from our sin. He did the opposite of stirring Oh, dissension and going, oh, do you know about so-and-so? Do you? He died to bring us reconciliation with God and reconciliation with each other. Folks, Jesus is such wonderful news for fools like us, is he not? He is such wonderful news. And therefore, I'm going to shut up and stop talking so that we can talk to him. Why don't we do that now? A little moment of quiet. Let's pour out our hearts to him in response to what his word has been saying to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we pray for each of us this morning that you would help us to walk in wisdom and not in folly. And we thank you that you have given us a chance to do that by putting our trust in Jesus, the one who is wisdom himself the one who forgives foolishness, and the one whose spirit comes to live in us to help us walk in his wisdom. And so we pray, Father, please help us to keep in step with your spirit and live wisely each day to bring you glory in all we do. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.